Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl. And my name is Arthi. And today we're talking about Greg and Larry. The last episode of Season 3 of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yay! I can't believe Which came out here. in March? In May. It came out early May. Oh, it came out in May. So we're only like a month and a half behind schedule. That's fine. Depending I mean, on when you air this episode. Yeah, whenever I edit this, it'll finally... Oh my god. Uh, it's been crazy. Oh uh, god, everything. Everything happens As so you could maybe our... tell, our lives have been pretty busy. Yeah. So... Um, startup life is no joke, y'all. <laughs> uh, no, my job's been really, really crazy and just, uh, it's, and then I've been working out more and I used to say like, th- there's this like old joke that I used to hear in New York that was, you can either like, so of the five things you can have work, fitness, socializing, relationships, and sleep pick three. I have all of those. I think. You can have five if the five are really three. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely been picking three. And unfortunately, this is not one of the three I've been picking. Um, I'm literally behind on all of my TV. I opened up Hulu for the first time today and I was like, I like, I had a viscerally negative reaction. <laughs> yeah, this entire season, I only cared about, you know, wrestling and anime and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. I didn't keep up on any of my anime. <laughs> Yeah. And I didn't really keep up on wrestling. Like, I stopped watching Raw. Although Raw is a pretty... Really? I mean, Raw is three hours every Monday. Wow. To kick off their eight hours a week of programming. That's so many hours. Yeah. I mean, the reason this is, is that Vince McMahon doesn't really believe in entertainment that isn't the WWE. So, hey, Carl, what happens in Greg and Larry? Greg and Larry is a direct continuation of the previous episode, which we talked mm-hmm. about several months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Holt has mm-hmm. been taken hostage by Bob Anderson, his former uh, friend who works for the FBI and actually works for Jimmy the Butcher Figgis. So the rest of the crew have to track him down and save him and also get information from uh, Bob on Figgis so they can put him away. Rushing to join them are Boyle and Amy who make their way onto a plane first class by pretending to pretend that Amy isn't really pregnant, but is actually pregnant. I think I got that right. I think I worked out the, like, layers of narrative and acting there. (laughs) Anyway, they win, but have to go to Florida. Also, we see Rose's apartment. And that she's, like, living under multiple aliases. Yeah, she's a few layers deep. I'm sure Pimento fucking loves that, though. Yeah. Yeah. So... God, how do we even talk about this? So I guess like top level, I so I rewatched it this morning, which was probably the first time I've rewatched this since like since our last recording, which was like a month ago or like two months ago almost. Um, and I, how do I say? So when I first saw this finale, I really enjoyed it, and I also felt that it was. It, it it was it was not as great as I felt it was. I felt it wasn't as great as it was, only because it followed a really terrific episode. Does that make sense? Did that all gel? Was that coherent? I don't think I didn't think it was as great as it was. Really gets across. Yeah. So so 
now I recognize that this is a really fun, terrific episode. I got a um, lot of yucks out of rewatching it. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, when I first saw it, I had literally just burned through, like, seven episodes of the show in, like, an attempt to get current with the show, like, for the finale so I could live tweet it, um, which didn't end up happening because my Jim betrayed me. Jim. Um, but the the episode previous is, is their heist episode, the one where they, like, try to steal the file from the place and the pull-ups and the vent and everything, right? Right. And that episode was so good. Like, was so good. Um, that when I first saw this, like, back-to-back with that one, it this one almost... This one, this one felt like it came up a little bit short. Like, if the last episode was, like, an A-plus episode, this was, like, an A-minus episode. Do you know what I'm saying? I felt like this episode was a little abrupt, yeah i didn't think they took a lot of time to develop each thing before jumping to the next thing Mm-hmm. but um, i think that's okay i mean i i don't remember the heist episode as well because it's been so long and i just rewatched this mm-hmm. um but i think it is a really worthy conclusion to the arc yes. which is something that most shows would fail in this situation so yeah yeah and like it's a sitcom so there's like not a ton of pressure on them to fulfill the arcs in a satisfying manner um so the fact that they did do that is pretty fucking cool yeah yeah but like so can you can you expand a little bit on like your your feeling of the episode being kind of abrupt uh possibly not with examples that's okay but um i felt like there were kind of there were kind of three acts in this episode Mm-hmm. Which is a lot for 30 minutes, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was a lot that happened in each act. So, you know, finding Holt and then escaping the hospital and then getting the information out of Figus is the basic three act structure. But the amount of stuff they packed into each of those mm-hmm. made it feel sometimes like they kind of jumped off of a concept with a one-liner and then landed on another concept and then we're jumping again really fast. I don't think I have a specific example to hand. That's okay. I, I, there, were a, there was just, like, so much that happened in this episode. And when I think about how much happened, I'm like, how the hell did all of that happen? You know? Like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> like, we go from Holt is being held hostage to... Or rather, Holt is in a hospital room with the other, like, mole in the FBI to Holt is being held hostage to Jake and Terry independently have to try and get to Holt to unhostage him. Then to uh, the hospital goes on lockdown, so they have to somehow escape out of the hospital and get to Rose's apartment to they get to Rose's apartment and they try to interrogate Bob Anderson um, to they think the place is being shot up to Anderson admits to where the file is to like on and on and on. And it was like, that is, that is so many things. Like, I feel like I just named 17 things. Yeah. And you didn't even include anything with Amy and Boyle. Yeah. Like their entire B plot. Like, I just was like, eh, I can't even begin to touch on that. They did button up basically everything that had to happen in the episode. Like they didn't leave anything 
they didn't leave anything off screen. Yeah, there 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 are no plot relevant threads that weren't tied up or at least addressed. And like I'd actually forgotten that Amy was in undercover at a women's prison in Texas for a minute. Her goodbye speech was amazing. Yeah. I felt throughout her stint at the women's prison that her relation to the other women there was kind of inconsistent. Oh yeah. Like she was positioning herself as a super badass in the first episode, and mm-hmm. then by this episode, she was just Amy. Yeah, it was just Amy. It was just Amy. Which, like, this is what happens when you have different, different. Uh, this is what happens when you have different writers for different episodes. I guess. I think this is what happens when you have different writers for different episodes being written almost like simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they had if they'd had even like a little bit of breathing breathing room to like cycle out, maybe it wouldn't have been quite so inconsistent. Because like Pimento is pretty consistent. Yeah, he is. I, there's a little variation when he's dealing with Charles, but it's pretty consistent. I think what happened in this is that they didn't realize how good Amy was going to be in character while they were writing the last episode, so they just fell back on writing her like they know her. Whereas Pimento yeah. doesn't vary from the one note they give him. It's which true. Which is a good note. Trauma? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, but yeah, there's so much that's happening in this episode. And, like, it happens so fast. Like, it, it, I don't even know, like, where we should begin. Should we even talk about it? It's all just plot. Like. <laughs> should we talk about the episode? Like, I mean, it's so straightforward. Like, there's not a whole lot to unpack here. Stuff happened. And stuff happened in order. Well, something I wanted to say about Anderson that I liked. Um, yeah. I liked that in creating another, like, black man like Holt, they're doubling mm-hmm. down on the way Holt deprograms the kind of emotionally volatile black man stereotype. Like, they doubled down on his difference from Terry, if you get what I'm saying. Yes, yes. And I mean, and even Terry is a variant on the tired trope. Yeah, he is. But like, he's not enough variant for it to not be like an undercurrent if there wasn't Holt around. You're right. Like, without Holt as contrast, Terry's Terry's performance of that variance becomes less interesting. Because I think what Holt is playing. Because I think I think what Brower is playing is traditionally sort of a white stereotype. It's very often an engineering stereotype, but I think it also plays into a very familiar kind of TV boss who isn't really emotional and doesn't really connect with the people under him, and generally is kind of like has a layer of uh, difference in what motivates them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty similar to the role Ron Swanson plays, if you think about it. You're totally right. They're they're cut from the same cloth. And and you are right. Ron Swanson is a very white-coded character. Well, it's sort of coding towards the, like, stereotype created by the 1950s dad, who's a really important sitcom, like, foundational stone. Yeah. Uh, where, like the dad of the show was supposed to be fathering and delivering moral lessons and not delivering any kind of emotional attachment. Yeah. 
the father knows best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Not that Bob Anderson can do that because he does not have children. <laughs> Which ruined Terry's holsties. <laughs> I'm I I would have I I'm they didn't overplay Jake ruining jazz, which I really liked. That's great. I mean, they it. did they did do three takes of it. Sure, and three peating is fine. Um, they didn't overdo it. Like it, each 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 beat of that wasn't terribly long. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they didn't. I imagine over... there'll be like a featurette on the season DVD, which is just him doing that for thirty minutes. I I I low key hope so. Low key don't hope so. Has Popstar come out yet? Popstar's been out. Is it bad? <laughs> it's it's not. I okay. I loved Popstar, but I a work at a startup that has strong ties to the music industry, so I got more of the jokes now than I used. I don't. I wonder if I would have before. Um, but the the big surprise about Popstar is that the front half of the movie is like sort of. It feels like it's just like another dumb comedy, but then the back half of the movie is about is basically about the power of friendship. Okay. That can also is, be a dumb movie. True, but this I mean, the power of friendship is kind of my like big weakness. I Are Judd Apatow love, movies not about the power of friendship? They usually what are, are. What are Judd Apatow movies about? They they're usually Somebody uh, okay. please educate me. <laughs> so, there's there's a difference between movies that he's written and movies that he's produced. Okay. Um, like, he produced Trainwreck, which is not about the power of friendship. Um, Apatow movies do tend to center on um, themes of friendship and family um, and where friendship and family intersect. Um, so, like, in this way, Popstar does, like, completely fit within his wheelhouse. Um, that's not to say it's not a Lonely Island movie. In fact, the movie does a bit of a bait and switch, spoiler alert, um, where you think Andy Samberg's character is like the main character, but the actual emotional underpinning and, and larger emotional trajectory of the movie is pinned to Yorma's character. Oh. Is Yorma the one who makes like things out of logs? No, that's Akiva. Yorma's the oh. DJ. Oh. The one who gets the light on his head. Yeah, the one who gets the Optimus Prime head. Maybe we should... That is not an Optimus Prime head. They they call it that in the movie. Oh, okay. Maybe I should go see it. It's it's super enjoyable. I, went I, don't, have with, to, I don't have to watch Independence Day Resurgence, so that's freeing up some time. Wait, you don't? Yeah, it's got like 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure Popstar is like at a respectable 88%. Yeah, that's acceptable. Um, it's, it, so I would say go in expecting to just have fun. Don't necessarily expect a cinematic masterpiece. I have never expected a cinematic masterpiece. Excellent. I it's, mean, sometimes I do when I'm like watching Casablanca, but like <laughs> these days, if I go to a movie, I'm not expecting a cinematic masterpiece. I guess I had some expectations around Gone Girl, but I try not to see really good movies, I guess. I, I'm going to walk right past that and instead say, um, <laughs> I, I really, I, I had a lot of fun at Popstar. I was quoting it loudly 
for like 20 minutes after the movie ended. Um, I couldn't quote it at you now, but I really enjoyed it in that That's moment. That's fine. That's not really a great comedic trajectory, or not trajectory, transmission. So, so great comedies are eminently quotable. I hate to say it, but it's true. Sure, um, but that doesn't mean that it's fun to have them quoted at you. True. Uh, <laughs> there's, there. We saw Central Intelligence. My friend and I saw Central Intelligence on Thursday. Um, Central Intelligence is much more quotable, but a much less quality movie. Mm. Like, there's, there's a lot of... And when I realized that Ike Barkenholtz had written it or was a co-writer in the movie, I was like, this explains so much about this and my enjoyment of it. Hmm? Who dat? Did you ever watch the Mindy Project at all? No. I watched 15. uh, I watched maybe five minutes of it. That's okay. I did not like those five minutes. That's acceptable. Um, In those five minutes, did that large male nurse character show up? No, I literally just watched her embarrass herself at a wedding. Oh, yeah, that's acceptable. Um, in So the head writer of the Mindy Project is Ike Barkenholtz, who is also one of the main cast of the show. And he, I like him a lot. He's apparently great to work with. I like his, like, in real life when he does interviews and stuff, I like his sort of, like, sense of, like, how he holds himself comedically and just personally. I find his humor style really puerile from time to time. Right. And 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 that that switch to that weird humor that I'm not necessarily a huge fan of happens happens very like unexpectedly when he's writing. Um and central intelligence is full of like occasional non sequiturs like that. But also his other uh comedic signature which is like the straight man character um calling out the weirdness in a very specific way so like there's that there's the bit in the trailer for central intelligence where he's like you look like a black will smith or something and kevin hart responds i'm not sure if that's racist or not but okay we'll go with it <laughs> mm. which yeah, is like that really st- doesn't do it for me no i mean it's it's is that's just the best example i can think of but like that sort of like so that what what the second line of dialogue there, what Kevin Hart's character says is standard improv, like dialogue, like it's clarifying the unusual thing, so that they can yeah continue the but game. But that doesn't necessarily mean I like it. Oh, absolutely! It's a it's low key uh, intolerable in scripted comedy. Yeah, because it's an improv technique. Yeah, that's like. Uh... I don't know. I think that improv techniques are kind of primitive to use in a scripted environment. It's kind of like using the stuff that you do emergency first aid with in like an operating theater. If you have a scalpel, don't cut someone's knife. Don't give it someone a tracheotomy with a steak knife. Like, <laughs> what a wonderful metaphor! Thank you. You're I so feel good. a little weird about it. <laughs> um regardless pop star was great and you <laughs> oh my god they must have filmed this so so in pop star um andy sandberg's character appears fully nude in one scene and okay, then you must have liked that and and 
relatively unclothed regularly. It. <laughs> I was joking with my friend. I was like, everyone I know who's seen this movie has been like, man, Andy looks really good. Like, he looks really fit. He looks really, like, handsome. Like, everyone's like, what is going on? And I was like, guys, he had a full-on nude scene in this movie. Like, he... Yeah, he probably worked out a lot for it. Yeah, and you can see that in this episode in Greg and Larry, because at the very end, he's wearing a super... Like, he's wearing a t-shirt that is actively straining against his shoulders and pecs. Like, (laughs) he did a pull-up unassisted in the last episode. I mean... Did they shoot that to show him doing a pull-up? Or did they shoot that to show his face coming over the top of a thing? Well, he, but he does it off of the A-frame. So we see him do a full unassisted pull-up in a long shot. Right. Well, it's true I can't do a pull-up. I can't do a pull-up either. Um, but, so, yeah, um, go see Popstar. It's really fun. It's just really fun. And there's so much music. And there's so much, like, friendship in it and those are all the things i like and honestly andy does a really great job in it like his acting is really great and for a dumb comedy like it really the the script and the movie do a good job of of showing the audience like without ever fully tipping its hand that there's two sides to like the personality of fame right there's the face you show your fans the face you show your interviewers the face you show for your documentarians yeah. And then there's and then there's the face you show the people who you trust on the inside. Well, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. So let's talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, we back to Bri- back to Greg and Larry. Um how did we how did we get to Popstar? I asked if Popstar was good. Right. But like why did what prompted that? I was wondering if Popstar was good and I figured well, I was wondering if Popstar was out and I figured that you would have seen it. Yes. I don't correct. know what we were talking about beforehand. I saw it opening weekend because I, I literally showed my friend Sherry the trailer. She turned to me and she goes, we're going to go see that immediately. You know that, right? And I was like, yes, you're right. We are. <laughs> we both canceled dates with actual other human beings to hang out with each other. It was actually really adorable. Um, I know. We're, 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 we're true friends. Um, what was I going to say? The so this this episode, um, Rosa Rosa Diaz isn't her real name. Well, that's the implication. Yeah, but there's no reason for her to reveal the truth there. That's true. <laughs> I like this Emily Goldfinch persona who talks a lot in order to hide the fact that she's Rosa Diaz, and she's like smiley. Well, we know she can turn that on. Yeah. With horrifying I mean, with with horrifying ease. Yeah. Well, and like that's Steph Beats in real life. Yes. Yes. Um Yeah, I don't know. It's also been like a really quiet summer aside from the Lonely Island doing all their press. Like I haven't heard much from the rest of the cast. Melissa Romero's been doing baby things. Uh, uh, Chelsea Peretti and Jordan Peele got married. I saw them in a commercial. They they got 
Yeah, they were doing commercials about weddings. <laughs> yeah, Jordan but... Peele. Yeah. I think, yeah, no, that's right. I think it was for some travel service, though. Yeah. Um... The rest have just been kind of lying low. Maybe it's right? to hide the fact that in the next season they're all going to be, like, in Mecca. In... Not the country, the giant robot. Not the city, the giant robots. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is going to move to Mecca. That's why I was so confused. I was like, that what? Would be, that would be a dangerous choice. I was going to say... Uh, so, so are you saying Brooklyn Nine-Nine's about to become Pat Labber? Pat Labor? That's kind of an old reference, but sure. <laughs> yes, it's very dated, but that's who I am. I guess it's more like Brooklyn Nine-Nine than your average Gundam. Yeah. It's about, it's about the mundane day-to-day and, like, the small adventures of the real people. Right. Is there, is there anything about this episode that we should talk about? Um, oh, the so the big question mark I saw circling around the fandom when the finale aired was, is Amy undercover with Jake? Or, I'm sorry, in WITSEC, in Witness Protection. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Well, I, I don't, I, I think they have a lot of room to go in either direction. I think it's kind of more interesting for their relationship if she's not... Because that puts more pressure on it. I think it's one of the few ways they could realistically break them up. Yeah, distance and time and, like, I just don't feel like I know you anymore. Or just, like, you didn't exist for three months. Yeah, so that's the thing. That's the other piece. Like, Amy and Charles were, like, observing Jake's phone call. Yeah, but they were... I mean, that was filmed so that they were paying more attention to each other. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, it's hard to also, say. Also, from, from his end, all he said was, like, sup, dog, and then it ended. You're right. You're right. And, like, so traditionally with witness protection, um, depending on how important you are, they might stage your death. They might just disappear you. Right. I imagine they wouldn't stage their death. Yeah, hopefully not. I heard from somewhere else that there was some speculation that uh, Pimento might be Figus. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's not true. Correct. But, uh, I I don't like that. I don't think it's real. I also think, like, there, however this arc resolves is the perfect, is, it's the perfect door to break up Jake and Amy for, like, legitimate story positive reasons. And also bring Jason Mansukas into the fold. Yeah. I think they would be very wise to bring him in as a permanent yeah. main cast well, member. Es- especially because he's starting to blow up. Like, he's been getting a lot more and more exposure lately. He's been working with Seth Rogen and, and James Franco, and he's been, like, doing a lot. And he's he's got a very distinctive face. <laughs> That's true. Um. I've actually, last night, me and my friends were hanging out and we were watching The League, which he's like a regular, like, uh, recurring cast member on. It's uh, it's Nick Kroll's FX show. Um, it's about a bunch of guys in a fantasy football league. I and see. so it's called The League. They almost never talk about football. It's delightful. You might consider picking it up. It's great, actually. 
I'm unlikely to pick up any new TV anytime soon. Fair. If you decide to pick it up, the entire thing is on Netflix. Cool. We should actually talk about Jake and Amy's like relationship trajectory. They did overtly um, point out that they haven't seen each other in weeks. Yeah. Um, and that they were about to move in together when Jake got pulled into witness protection. Um, it is very likely that Kevin is withhold. Yeah, it is. Because he's he'd be a very high-profile target if you weren't. Yes. Also because they offered to let you bring your loved ones with you. Yeah. Well, for, like, for both of those reasons. I mean, also you can take sabbatical or whatever. You can take emergency sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly Kevin's there. It's It's Amy who's the bigger wild card because... Moving in together and moving into not a life in Florida together are kind of different propositions. Yeah. And if she's there, that's still a good reason to break them up because it's, it could be like, I need space. Well, you can't have space. We're in Florida. No, no. As I'm saying is like after that arc is resolved, it's a reasonable reason for them to break up. Yeah. It's like, that makes sense. I need, yeah, I need space. I need to find myself again. Especially because they would probably be fake married. Yeah. And, like, so they'd spend most of their time play-acting a level of their relationship they hadn't actually reached organically. Yeah. So, like, after that, I I would want some time to reevaluate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I'm low-key, like, weird about how cavalier we are, but, like, yeah, they'll probably break up next season. Like, NBD. Yeah. Because I don't think... I don't know if I see an outcome where they don't. Like, if he's if they're separated for, like, three, four months because he's in witness protection, like, that fucking sucks. It know. does fucking suck, but I can... So, they are making it look like that's no problem for Rosa. Mm-hmm. I can see them surviving that, but having problems thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh... Especially because they're, like, they have more reasons to be more committed to each other than Rosa and Pimento do. I I mean, Rosa's also, like, we know that she's okay with long periods of, like, non-contact. Like, yes, she wants to be with Pimento, but not seeing Pimento doesn't ruin her life. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Whereas, like, we see with Amy and Jake, like, them being separated is really hard. And then being separated with no contact was extra hard. In a dangerous situation. Exactly. And then there's if they're if they're once again separated with no contact in a potentially dangerous situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see next season. Yeah. Although our fans won't be hearing from us about it. Yeah. So as we said at the beginning and as you've surely intuited from the way this season has gone uh we've both had to deprioritize brooklyn 99 in our lives yeah i mean part of it i i it's easy to blame me moving but that's not all of it yeah it's it's not yeah certainly the time difference and location difference is a complicating factor and it's made the podcast, like, worse. 
it's better to have, I think it's better to record when you can record in the same place. Although, like, better podcasts manage. I I think it's it's that we went from in the same room at the same time to not, whereas, like, the other way is an easier transition. Yeah. Like, if we had started the podcast remote, it would be fine. I think it's also the fact that, like, there is not that much to say about any given episode of a 30-minute comedy. Yeah. There are people who manage to wring entire popular podcasts out of that amount of material, but I am out of things to say about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I still enjoy it, and I'll still probably keep watching it, but I don't have a new thing to say every episode. Yeah, I also... Yeah, that's a big part of it. I also just, like... I... This this is really strange, but, like, because I pay such close attention to the show, I feel like all the, like, writers and the creative talent that was that were working on it that were making this show such, like, a special, like, brain-eating piece in season one, like, like, Prentice Penny is out, and Mike Schur has moved on to other projects, and, you know, our favorite writer, Lakshmi Sundaram, she's not writing many episodes a season anymore like she was writing two or three a season and now she's not writing she's writing maybe one but she's she got promoted and that's awesome but it also means i don't get to read or i don't get to experience her writing anymore which is i mean i don't think the show has gotten worse for that no no i'm not saying it has it, it's just like you know I don't know. I I don't know how to explain this, but like you know, the 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 people I was here, the people I fell in love with, they moved on, and that's fine. But you know, and the show's not worse. Just it's not it's not the same, and change is the only constant, and blah blah blah. But like, it's just a different show, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, like I think about Parks and Rec, and like how. Um, Aisha Muhar wrote for that show pretty much to the end. So, and like adding new writing talent isn't isn't going to make the show worse. If anything, it might make the show better over time because it stays like fresh and young. But we don't. Yeah, we grow old and rotten. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just. I I have too much else happening in my life right now, and I you know you you've moved your media cons- media consumption elsewhere. I'm my job is most of my life, and I'm also like getting more into like my comedy, like my improv work and my writing and stuff. So just our lives shifted. There's no shame in that. I even feel like this fandom has sort of calmed down. Anyway, uh, if you've gotten this far, thank you. Yes. Thank you for listening to us throughout these three seasons of this really quite special comedy show. Yes. Um, to, it's been an amazing two years. Like, it really has. Like, I've really enjoyed running this podcast. I've enjoyed talking with you guys on Twitter. I've enjoyed answering your asks on Tumblr. I've This, this is a community that I'm really going to miss being as actively involved with. 
And we wouldn't have made this show without the people who were listening to it. So thank you all. Yes. So for the last time, from both of us to all of you, this My has been is- Back in the Field. <laughs> Fuck, we don't. We fucking destroyed. We ruined our outro. Ah, it's so it characteristic. It's, it is exactly who we are. All right, I'm going to try it again. Cool. <clears throat> so, how are um, we doing this? It's uh, so for the last time, from both of us to all of you, this has been Back in the Field. My name is Arthi. My name is Carl. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you around the internets. Bye. Bye.